Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hochberg, and this is episode number 300. One of the most common questions someone new to Royal Caribbean has is, how good is a certain Royal Caribbean ship? Or, if a certain ship is too old, new, boring, outdated, or flashy these days? Or, better yet, a question along the lines of, I read a lot of negative reviews about Blank of the Seas, so should I not go on it? I wanted to try to tackle this common concern and explain why the answer is to question the original inquiry. Here we go. I've been wanting to do an episode about this topic for a long time because I think for a lot of podcast listeners or blog readers or Facebook viewers, there is always that question, especially among first-time cruisers, of you know picking the right ship. And a lot of times we talk about on this podcast about avoiding pitfalls. It's a really core premise of this podcast and blog. It's helping everybody have a better cruise, right? That's what I've always said since day one of RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com of helping people have a better cruise. And, you know, that comes in a lot of forms. And sometimes the answer is, oh, you should skip this or do this instead of that. Those kind of answers. And so it's not unsurprising to me that some people may take that to the point of saying, is there a better ship than than another? Is this ship a mistake? Uh, You know, researching the ship. And the ship itself, when when we're talking about which Royal Caribbean ship to go on, I always try to give the answer of, first and foremost, there is no ship I don't recommend in the fleet. That, that's the bottom line. There is not one ship I would not sail on. There is not one ship I would say, oh, you should avoid. I think it really comes down to, I think, expectations. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Let's talk more about the basic premise of this episode, which is, of course, is people who have, you know, maybe they've read negative online reviews about a ship. Perhaps they've heard negative things about a ship. Uh, you know, in the beginning, in the intro of this episode, I talked about, you know, whether a ship is is too old, new, or boring, or, you know, basically reading or hearing things about a ship and reputation. And, you know, it, it, this is a really common question I've gotten over the years. I get this probably at least once a week from somebody, whether it's on the message boards or on a Facebook Live video chat, whatever. It, someone is always, you know, saying something like, you know, um, I, I was, you know, book this ship, you know, blank of the seas, whatever one it happens to be, and, you know, inevitably you go to the internet, start Googling around, and you find online negative reviews. And, you know, it's it's one of the, it's probably the hardest thing to try to convey to people, because, of course, in today's day and age, one of the best uses of the internet is the ability to research really anything you do, any venue, show, eatery, book, movie, you know, websites like Yelp, TripAdvisor, Google, Rotten Tomatoes, they've all built such huge followings to help consumers have a really good idea of if something is good or not or share their experiences and thoughts. And so it stands to reason, well, certainly a cruise ship vacation should apply to similar logic, right? But the reality is that cruise ships offer a much more varied and experiential vacation that it can't be properly reviewed in its entirety based on just a single experience. Cruises are, by their very design, a create-your-own-adventure experience. I mean, you could go on a cruise, you know, we both go on Harmony of the Seas, and you could, you know, sit by the pool all day, do nothing but, you know, wake up, sleep in, you know, until noontime, wake up, eat something, go to the pool, have dinner, do, you know, and then go back and go to sleep and keep repeating this. You could have, you know, you literally could do very little, or you could be ziplining, crocheting, belly flopping, dancing the night away, doing a thousand excursions, right? In short, the bottom line is we all cruise differently. It is not the same experience across the board for everybody. So that's like number one, I think, stands out in my mind as a reason why it's hard to really convey in any kind of online review 
a idea of is this ship good or bad or you, your experience being anyway and similar to my experience because we would have to essentially do very similar things uh, to almost to the point of copying each other in order to even come close to perhaps experiencing a similar outcome. And also, the age of a ship is equally irrelevant in determining how good or bad a ship is. This is a really common one. Oh, man, I'm worried about going on, you know, uh, Brilliance of the Seas or Rhapsody of the Seas or Empress of the Seas because they are older than, you know, Freedom of the Seas, which is older than Harmony of the Seas, which is older than Spectrum of the Seas. And cruise ships are not like that family car you own. In most cases, when you buy a car... You never really add significant feature shift to purchasing it, right? You're not taking the car in after two or three years and overhauling the whole thing. No, you just kind of maintain it, and you know when it when it when it's it's when it's your car's time, it's your car's time. Cruise ships, however, undergo extensive refurbishments periodically and regular maintenance every couple of years. And while you probably could look around the corners and you may find a piece of rust or try to inspect the upholstery of a chair for worn material, these aspects are superficial and in my opinion, irrelevant to the overall experience of the ship. So, again, age is not a major factor in determining whether or not a ship is good or a good fit for you or not. It's it's certainly not, in fact. And, you know, that, of course, the source of all of this, by the way, when people hear, you know, where do they where do they find, um, you know, the, these all these negative reviews or or commentary or things like that. And, of course, you know, the, this is online, right? Negative reviews have a really powerful experience. I mean, think about the time someone shared a, a awful experience with you involving a certain restaurant or movie or book or car repair shop. And then think about how quickly in your mind you abandon any consideration of trying it yourself, right? I mean, you, I'm sure you've experienced this where someone was like, oh, you know, the, you know that Chinese food restaurant down the street? Or uh, I just saw this movie and it was awful, Right? Negative review. What it, and it, I, I'm almost positive your reaction was not, oh, let me go try that. I think that'd be fun to, <laughs> I should go try it in the, in the interest of being objective. No, you probably thought to yourself, well, we're never going there again, you know? Um, and the thing to remember is one person's experience is not indicative of what yours will be. The example I love to share is broccoli because I could probably find, in fact, think about it right now, you listening right now. If, if we could get everybody listening to this podcast in one room together and get a raise of hands, show of hands, how many people hate broccoli versus how many people love broccoli? Because they, whether we're talking about broccoli or cabbage or, 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 I don't know, a variety of other foods, I mean, there's certain foods that people just hate, have no interest in trying whatsoever, and then there's a bunch of other people who love broccoli and love other foods, right? I mean, it, it's subjective, and you can have, you know, that, that that's the nature of quite frankly, being a human being and having subjective opinions on things. And, you know, there are negative reviews of Star Wars, chocolates, newborn babies, ALF, and, you know, all that really proves is that we have different tastes in things. And uh, when I was researching this topic, I found a wonderful fact. And and I want to share, this is a quote from the New York Times, because they were kind of talking about why you really can't trust negative online reviews to begin with. And the Great Wall of China has more than 9,000 reviews on Google with an average of 4.2 stars. Do you know what that means? 4.2 out of 5 stars? That means somebody, not somebody, a lot of people out of 9,000 reviews did not give the Great Wall of China one of mankind's most astonishing achievements in human history, 5-star reviews. So when you think about that for a second... And then think about the guy who gave a negative review to Anthem of the Seas. You know, it's it's a ludicrous proposition that because you read 
on negative online reviews that it's it's that must mean it's a terrible thing, right? It just goes to show you you really can't please everybody. That's really the bottom line when it comes to you know online reviews. And there's a great quote from this New York Times article, or uh, this is verbatim here, quote, Reviews are subjective, and the tiny subset of people who leave them aren't average. This is a really important tip as well when it comes to reading online reviews or experiences, and that is not everybody shares the experience. I mean, think about it. Think about every movie you've seen in your life, every book you've read, every TV show you've watched, every restaurant you've dined at. Have you always left a review for every single one? Of course not. Even if you're a major star on Yelp or Rotten Tomatoes or, you know, you you don't. You don't leave a review of every single place every single time. So what tends to happen is a lot of times reviews who get that get posted are for some folks who are, you know, uh, it's a subset of the general public, A, and B, it doesn't always represent the common experience, so to speak. So inevitably, when someone asks what I think of a certain royal ship or if they should avoid a certain ship, I always give the same answer because it applies to every single royal ship in the fleet. They're all great ships, and you're going to have a great time. You can't have a great time on any of them. No ship in the fleet is inherently flawed, or no ship is a mistake to sail on. Are some ships older than others? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just a fact. But again, age doesn't make or dictate what will be a better cruise than another one. I think Really what it boils down to when it comes to going on a cruise is, number one, what does the ship offer you? What are you looking for in your cruise vacation? When we talk about cruise vacations, I know each and every one of us probably has an image in our mind. Some people probably imagine, I'm assuming, a pool deck where they can lounge out and spend most of their day over there. Some people imagine instantly uh, kayaking and ziplining and exploring different ports. Some people have a vision of sleeping in. Some people have a vision of... Uh, you know, cruising with their family and sharing the experiences. But the bottom line is we all have different expectations. And really when it comes to picking a ship for you, it's, I think, most important to figure out what you're looking for, A, and then B, find a ship that matches that. I also think it's really important to also cruise with an open mind. Look, no vacation, no experience is perfect. I mean, you're going to run into potentially some issues. So you got to have kind of an open mind, be flexible, and also research before booking what the ship does and does not offer. And if you do these things, I think it really stands to reason that any ship in the fleet you could have a great time on. Or you could avoid a certain ship because, again, it doesn't it's not in line with what you're looking to get out of it necessarily. And, you know, looking at purely price or just the name of the ship, you know, or the, or the age of the ship, you know, oh, I want to cruise on the newest ship in the fleet only. I want to ship on the I want to sail on the biggest ship in the fleet only. I want to Looking at it from that perspective singularly is the problem. So what should you do instead of reading online reviews? And first and foremost, you need to stop reading them entirely. Stop reading online reviews. They are at best a quirky form of entertainment and certainly not a proper barometer of what makes a ship great or not. What you want to do instead is look into what features, amenities, and entertainment a ship offers and figure out if it's what you're interested in. You really need to figure out what you're looking for in a cruise and then see which ship might be a best fit for you. Some Royal Caribbean ships have water slides, some do not. Some have Broadway shows, some do not. Some have flow riders, some do not. Some have a ton of specialty restaurants, some just have a couple. Which of these really matters to you? And the key to going on a great ship is a ship that offers the kind of experiences that will appeal to you. And I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but I wanted to bring back a, a story that I think I've told on this podcast, certainly I've told in other forms of social media, was I was sitting at the Solarian Pool on Brilliance of the Seas, having a great time. I think it was a sea day, and a gentleman sat down next to me, and we struck up a conversation. I think we were talking about college football at the time, but then inevitably he went into a line of conversation in which he basically complained about 
brilliance of the seas and said there was the ship is terrible we went on an oasis of the seas uh, last time and it was so much better because there was so much more to do now of course i didn't really want to get into a whole conversation about why he's wrong i don't think anyone really wants to hear that but you know in the context of what we just talked about it makes sense of course that yeah obviously a waste of the seas one of the largest cruise ships in the entire world is going to offer you a lot more to do i mean oasis is more than double the size of brilliance and more space equals more options and activities to pack on the ship and had this person research what brilliance offers or doesn't offer compared to oasis maybe they would have said hmm, that because i'm looking for a ton of activities brilliance is not the ship for me so you know, it's not a bad decision to go on Brilliance. It's just a different one. And I think that's really what you... This is, you know, again, the, the name of the game. So what you want to do is... Uh, now that you really know not to worry about general reviews of ships, you should know, though, that learning about your ship is still a great idea. And you ought to focus on figuring out what you want from the cruise and which cruise ships offer what appeals to you. If you don't have kids, then picking a ship with a large adventure ocean space may not really matter that much. If you consider yourself a foodie, then a real cruise ship with a lot of specialty dining options might be what you want to lean towards. But the bottom line is, online reviews of sailings or ships are, look at them purely for entertainment. It's, you know, bring the popcorn, start eating it, but don't base your review purely, or your decision to book a cruise or cancel a cruise at worst. Uh, based purely on someone's review, or even a bunch of reviews. I mean, the, the other things people say, well, look, Matt, I, you know, I, I read a bunch of negative reviews about this ship. It's, it's, it's concerning me. And, of course, I always go back to the example I shared earlier about the Great Wall of China. <laughs> that is that the fact that well, out of 9,000 reviews on Google at the time, that not all 9,000 were five stars is ludicrous. And in a lot of cases, when you read these reviews, you'll often see people, you know, when they cite what was the big problem that they gave it one star, you know, it's something like, you know, their breakfast being cold or something silly, you know, just not a one star review is really reserved for, you know, awful, almost unimaginable experiences. Right. And that's hardly ever the case. And I think that this is the reason why I really want, again, to bring this full circle, the reason why I want to do this podcast uh, today was to bring you guys a look at why it is so important to, you know, take these reviews with a grain of salt. I recommend just not reading them at all. Uh, you know, and this honestly comes out a little bit of coming at my own expense here because, of course, RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, I do write reviews of shore excursions. I write reviews of hotels. I haven't done, I don't think, any reviews of ships. I haven't, I've never gone to that level of it, but I do offer reviews. And I would tell you the same thing. When you read any of my reviews or you hear a review here on this podcast, uh, we do cruise reviews on this podcast, you know, sailings, is that take it with a grain of salt. Absolutely. You should not base everything you do on my experience or anybody's experience on board. I hope that when we share reviews here on the Royal Green Blog Podcast, whether it's a cruise review or a short surgeon review or something of that nature, that you look at it and say, okay, this was Matt's experience. This was Annette's experience. This was Michael's experience. This was Billy's experience. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be anything like my experience. And if nothing else, I really, actually, what I my hope with these reviews is you pick up a nugget of information. Like, oh, I didn't realize that there was an escape room on Harmony of the Seas. Or, oh, I didn't realize that, you know, if you have a suite, you can contact your concierge ahead of the sailing and with a dining package, uh, have them book the dining for you, save yourself a step. Like, you know, you want to pick up these little tidbits and nuggets of information and be able to apply it directly to your sailing rather than taking my experience or someone else's experience on here and sharing that as the, oh, well, here we have it. The <laughs> the the answer to whether or not we should go on this ship or that ship or, or regardless. So, again, 
I hope that you kind of th- this makes sense, and I appreciate you hopefully taking some time here to hear me out on this on this example because there are things in which I think online reviews are really good at, but cruise ship experiences not necessarily the end all be all of you know when it comes to review online reviews of whether or not you should sail on a ship. Again, you want to look at it from your perspective, what you're looking for, making sure that ship offers that, and then going in with you know some some good expectations. I think you'll have a great time on your cruise. You know, we're about to start our listener question segment here where we dive into our inbox and answer your, your emails. But I do have to take a moment here and recognize this is episode 300. It is a significant milestone for us. And, you know, I was looking at it and what struck me was not that fact that we've done episode. This is episode 300. We've done 300 episodes of the Real Coming Blog podcast, which is a feat in and of itself. But I think what stood out to me is the fact that we've been doing this podcast for six years. This podcast started in 2013. That's what blows my mind. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you to everybody who has contributed to this podcast. you Because it's because of you guys, this podcast exists. I remember when I started the podcast, I was incredibly paranoid that nobody would listen, or not nobody, but not enough people would listen. I wouldn't have enough emails that I have to make. I actually thought I would have to either make up emails or ask friends to send in emails like because I wouldn't have enough content, essentially. I thought I would run out of things to talk about. It would be boring. It may still be boring. I'm not sure about that point. But the point is that the uh, I, I've been honestly just blown away by the feedback I've received, the amount of emails I get. I still can't believe how many people listen to the podcast, send in emails, and it's because of you guys that this is, we are where we are. And there's no doubt in my mind, it's because of your support, whether you're a listener, whether you're a Real Coming Blog insider, whether you join us also on our live video streams on Facebook, Periscope, YouTube, and Instagram. Regardless of how you communicate, contribute, watch, read, listen, it, it, it's really because of you guys, we are where we are. And I, I promise you this podcast was up a long time ago if I ever got the sense that there was really, I was talking into a void. And I don't feel that's the way anymore. I really feel like not only are we having a conversation, but we've developed so many great friendships with you guys because I do consider each and every one of you my friend. We are talking, cruising together. We have something in common. We like Royal Caribbean. And because of that, that makes us friends and, and and colleagues in this experience, and and I love sharing with all of you. So I just wanted to take a moment here before we jump into these emails and say thank you and say thank you for all of your support. Thank you for all of your time listening, whether you've listened since episode one or you just joined last week or you're like, who is this guy over here that just found this episode? Regardless, thank you for taking some time here to be a part of this podcast. Uh, it, it means the world to me, and the fact that we've reached episode 300 is not a testament to me or to my doing anything. It's about you guys and that you've shown that you want to have this kind of content, and thus I'm just here to deliver it to you. So thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for being – and I hope we continue this, by the way. This is not the end. Far from it. This is only the beginning. To paraphrase uh, Winston Churchill, we've not yet begun to fight or we've not yet begun to parrot podcast. <laughs> we will podcast in the in the seas and on the land. All right, I'm I've, he's rolling over in his grave right now thinking about this. So uh, let's jump into the emails for this week. Our first email this week is from Allison Toth. Right, I recently came across your blog and podcast since I'm going on my first cruise in a few months. I've been binge listening to all your episodes. I've gotten some incredible information and feel a lot more confident about sailing than I did when we first booked the cruise. So thank you for all your helpful tips and insight. 
My boyfriend and I are going to the Bahamas in May on Navigator this season. We'll be stopping at Nassau and Coco Cay. We have the drink package, and we know we can use it on Coco Cay. However, I've seen a few people mention on Shipmate that alcoholic drinks are limited on the island. I'm wondering if you have any information on that, and I figured I'd check with you since those reviews and comments are, aren't always 100% accurate. Thanks for all you do. Allison, thanks for the email. So there is some truth to what you're hearing. Um, of course, just like on the ship, they can only serve you what drinks they have access to in terms of being able to make. So if the bar doesn't have a blender, you can't get, you know, blended drinks. You can't get frozen drinks as an example. Uh, the most obvious example of this is the floating bar at what's now known as Perfect Day Coke, okay? Uh, the, they have just, it's just, it's, it's just a cooler full of beer and some, and liquor that can be kept at room temperature, you know, whatever that may be on island temperature. Um, but you can get, you're not limited in the sense of you can't get like, you know, a mojito or a strawberry daiquiri on the island. You just simply, you're limited to where the venues that can make them. Now I will add Allison that with the Perfect Day Cocaine transformation, there's a lot more options now than I think there were in the past. As an example, the Oasis Lagoon Pool cannot make every kind of drink that, that's out there, but they can make a lot more than I think they used to offer in a lot of different venues. So as long as they have the means to make the drink, they certainly can. But if you're like, hey, all I want to drink are you know, something that requires a blender or frozen drinks, you may run into more of an issue. But that being said, I know that when we were at Perfect Day Coco Cay in March, we were at the Oasis Lagoon pool, and my daughter wanted a her favorite. She's she has this strange obsession not only with the frozen drinks but with pina coladas. Don't ask, but that's what she wants. And I think they weren't able to make her either. They weren't able to make her the pina colada, and she got a strawberry daiquiri, or the other way around. Uh, so anyway, the point is that there are some sometimes some of the drinks aren't available on the island, but uh, generally speaking, I think it's it's gotten better, and I think with the now opening of Perfect Day Coca I think you'll find some other choices there. But in general, Alice, I mean, if you're drinking, you know, uh, uh, beers, uh, certainly if it comes out of a bottle, that's a lot easier to do. Um, but just like on the ship, you know, some some places offer it, some don't. But I think in general, you'll be able to find most of what you're looking for on the island. Hopefully that answers your question there, Allison. Next, we have an email from... Uh, Steven, uh, Steve from Maryland. Sorry, Steve. We write great podcasts and YouTube videos. My wife and I will be our first Royal Caribbean cruisers on Independence of the Seas at the end of April. Would you recommend, recommend welcome home? Would you recommend booking a future cruise at the next cruise desk? What would be the benefits compared to booking on my own? Any secrets or hidden gems on Independence we can't miss? So, booking a next cruise is a question. I, I we should do an episode about that one probably. <laughs> While I was doing episodes about things, I've gotten questions about a lot, and that is booking a next cruise. Next cruise is the. Uh, the office, if you will, that's available on all Royal Caribbean ships and book another Royal Caribbean ship. Another Royal Caribbean sailing, I should say. And a lot of people always wonder, should I book it on board? And the answer is, if you book a cruise on board, the primary benefit you get for booking on board is you get free onboard credit. Royal Caribbean will take whatever offer you can get that you anybody could get, and on top of it, throw some onboard credit, which is really nice because it's free money to spend on board your sailing when you go on it. The issue is that I think the next cruise, the next cruise offer has changed a lot over the years. And in today's form, I find that if you're on the cruise, Steve, you're on Independence of the Seas, you're having a great time, and you say to your wife, boy, when this, are we having a great time? Wouldn't it be great to do this again? Let's go down to the next cruise office and book a cruise. And you do that, that's a great idea. Absolutely go for it. Because it's free money for booking the cruise. What I would not recommend you do, Steve, is if you were sitting at home and saying to your wife, you know, this guy Matt, 
talks all about these cruises. I would love to do even more cruises. Independence we got booked is great, but you know, let's book more cruises. But our cruise isn't for another couple of weeks or months or whatever. You know, we'll wait and book on board. That is a mistake, I believe. And the reason why I say that is because the between now and when you actually get on board the ship, the price of the cruise may change to the point that any free onboard credit you get for booking on next cruise is offset by an increase in price. So my advice is if you're sitting at home and you have any more than a couple days until your next cruise, I would recommend just booking it now at the current rate. And then you can always, you know, see what it is available on the ship. But I still think price, at the end of the day, most people are most concerned about the price of the cruise. And prices tend to fluctuate and they tend to go up over time. So my advice is to book it now uh, and not wait. But if you're on the ship, and you're, you're, you're seized with inspiration, and it's not something you ate, then perhaps what you need to do then is book a cruise and go down to the next cruise office and take advantage of it. There's nothing wrong with doing that, absolutely. Uh, it's just, you know, you have to, I think, have that perspective in mind. So, oh, and the last question Steve had was about uh, secrets, hidden gems, and independence. You know, independence just got a major refurbishment. You cannot miss Grease, the Broadway musical. Uh, you should not miss out on enjoying a sail away on the helipad which is available to all guests just go down to i believe it's deck four it's the it's that promenade deck that goes outside on the outside of the ship just walk all the way forward you'll literally run into it steve uh definitely check that out on sail away it's a great spot a great perspective advantage point certainly uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the dining they have on board i believe independence of the seas has izumi hibachi which is not to be missed check that out as well so yeah you got i mean independence is a fabulous ship i went on her just before her refurbishment uh, back on what was it Thanksgiving 2017, I believe, and it's it's a one Freedom Class is just a great class ship to begin with. So I uh, hope you have a great time, Steve, and thanks for the email. Next, we have an email from Stacy from Providence, Rhode Island. I'll be traveling alone with my nine-year-old son on Anthem of the Seas, August 15th, 2019. This is a nine-night sailing. Everyone thinks I'm crazy. I very, I very well may be. So I'm looking to learn as much as I can about the experience, fun-filled yet relaxing at the same time, if that's possible. There are a few things I'm confused about. I hope you can help me with. We've traveled with both Disney a long time ago. At, oh, sorry. Both, both Disney and long-ago Carnival. This is my first Royal Caribbean cruise. I'm used to having assigned dining times where you were paired up with another group for dinner. My son really enjoyed getting no other kids his age this way when we sail through Disney. He's on the shy side, so it's hard for him to get to go to a kids club without making a connection with another child. I believe I'm currently set up for flexible dining. Any advice on how to create a similar experience on our anthem sailing? Am I able to request a table with other boys around his age? Uh, so let's start with that question first. The answer is yes, Stacey. What you want to do is call your travel agent or Royal Caribbean directly if you booked with Royal and change from what you're right now in my time dining. You want to change to the traditional dining. Now, traditional dining, you'll have a set time, set tape, you'll have the same table, same dining time, same wait staff, and potentially same dining mates. Now, in terms of being able to be seated or request to be seated with other boys around his age, you can make that request. Uh, you know, when it comes to dining requests and who you're sitting with, some people request, like, actually, usually it's the opposite, Stacey. People want, like, a table by themselves. But in your situation, I'm sure you can at least, uh, here's what I would do. I would when you when you have your travel agent make the change, make put that request in there. But also when you get on board the ship, Stacy, on day one, embarkation day, go speak to the head waiter. Usually in the afternoon, there is a set time where there's a head waiter on duty to answer questions, make you know requests, all those kinds of things. And you might want to do that at that point. I, I don't again, nobody. I don't think anybody can really promise you. There's no surefire way that you can definitely be seated with another family. But Royal's pretty good about those kinds of things. And I think that in general, the matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match, find me a fine, deliver me some bread, uh, is pretty good when it comes to that kind of stuff. So uh, hopefully that'll work out. But if you want to have the same, what you were talking about with Disney in terms of assigned seating and all that kind of stuff, that's 
traditional dining and there's early seating there's late seating for you you probably want to do early seating you might also want to look at one more thing which i just thought of stacy which is my family time dining which is an option in which you sit at first seating dining so early dinner and you sit there with with your, your son comes with you and then your son eats at an expedited pace they serve his food a lot faster than your food but you still get to dine together and then uh at like I think an hour or so after dinner begins, and the Adventure Ocean staff comes down to pick up the kids and bring them to Adventure Ocean. So the advantage of this is you still get to eat with your kid, but then Adventure Ocean comes down and picks up your kid and brings them up to uh, the the room. Now, of course, I know you mentioned your 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 son was shy, so there's a little bit. I, I totally understand that aspect of it. My other recommendation for you and your son, we're gonna go beyond your original question. I hope that's okay. I would tell you number one, you want to go on embarkation day to. Adventure Ocean and register your kids. There's gonna be there's gonna be an open house time. Take advantage of that, Stacy. Not only that, take advantage by bringing your son up there, letting your son explore the area because it's open for adults and kids to just simply walk around Adventure Ocean. Meet the counselors. There will be other kids up there as well at that time. So if you hang out there long enough, inevitably your son may run into somebody. And you know, it, I think it'll it'll give your son some comfort knowing what to expect. I I am. Even at my age, I still get kind of anxious when it comes to uh, situations in which I cannot anticipate every single thing. I can't, I can't envision every every possible scenario, and so I think that's probably most people are come fall into that category. So if you if your son can have some kind of level of comfort with being able to, you know, okay, I in his mind know, okay, here's what the space looks like, here's what they have to do. This the the counselors can also talk to them, and be like, look, in in a lot of cases when it comes to shy kids, they'll often tell parents. You know, we're, we have, we're doing, you know, these activities, but if your son just wants to read in the corner quietly or color, uh, my daughter does this all the time, where, you know, sometimes she's just in a mood to color and doesn't really want to play gaga ball or something like that. That's totally fine. They're pretty good about that kind of stuff. So hopefully that answers your question. Stacey's other question she had was, my cruise planner is listing a lot of options from dining, beverage packages, store excursions, etc. What I'm not seeing is theater show reservations for, or, for the Ripcord or North Star. These sometimes become available later than everything else. Yes, uh, Stacey, absolutely. Uh, the uh, Speaking of common questions I get, this is, we're continuing the trend here. Uh, you know, when will I see the option to book Ripcord, North Star, things of that nature? There is no set time, Stacey. Keep checking back. Do not let go of that because making a reservation before your cruise is really important in order to make sure you get the um, an opportunity to experience these awesome, awesome activities. Stacey writes, uh, thanks for the podcast. It's been very helpful for me in terms of both booking the right ship and finding tips and tricks for what for once we are on board. Thanks in advance. Well, hopefully you have a great time. Hopefully your son has an even better time on there. And if you're, the better your son has uh, time on the ship, the better you'll have on it as well, I think. Next, we have an email from someone called Bob. Writes, I'm emailing you because I booked my first Royal Caribbean cruise for December on Oasis of the Season. Stumbled across a super great deal. I initially booked one boardwalk view balcony stay for my wife, son, and myself. After a couple days, I decided to price two rooms. Being that my son is 20, I figured that he didn't have to sleep in the same room with us. I was surprised and confused to get a quote that was $500 less than what I was already paying. Mind you, this is for two boardwalk view balcony stay rooms. I don't know if this was a glitch or not, but I immediately called my travel agent to book this. Weirdly, she could not get the same price that I did with my mock booking. She called the Royal Caribbean, and they couldn't figure out why I got that price either. So I waited until the next day to see if the price would if it would pop up for me again. It did. So I had to book it for myself and then transfer it to my travel agent since I was the only one who could get the price. I goes a screenshot of what I found really weird. Royal Caribbean charged me half price to pick my 
my room versus them picking it for me. A savings about $600. Also, the second room has only the one person in it and I wasn't charged a single supplement fee. The only thing that may have been different is that I used my cell phone to book it. When I tried to get the same price on my laptop, it gave me a much higher price. Have you seen this before? Do you know of a situation where two rooms were less than one? Hope to hear this answered on an upcoming podcast. All right, so he sent me a screenshot and I had to read this email a couple of times here. Uh, for the room, it, there's two choices he's getting where it says, we pick your room, Royal Caribbean, and the price is $14.20 per person. And the other one is, uh, you pick your room for $7.89 a person. The only thing I can think of, there's a, a number of possibilities, Bob, and and in your situation, you did exactly what you should have done, by the way, which is if you're seeing a great price and no one else is, just book and transfer to travel agent, you know, take advantage of that. Uh, I would have to have seen the exact room you booked, the room number, like which one you're picking. My only thought is, you happen to find a single self, a, a, a studio room. It's the only thing I can think of. I know you mentioned that they were both, uh, I believe, boardwalk rooms. I'm, tr- I'm trying to skim through the email over here really quick to try to find that. But uh, it, that's only, I, it, it, it is really odd that if you really did pick two traditional rooms and one is... Uh, someone by themselves, you're not paying the single supplement. I mean, there's a number of possibilities. There's also the possibility that in this particular sailing, they've waived single supplement. It's been known to happen. Not something likely to happen, but by the way, this is a boardwalk view balcony. So yeah, I don't know. I'm not familiar if there are any studio rooms that are like that, but um, it could be that. There's a number. Here's the bottom line. I I really do believe, Bob, that the, the, the system is working properly. Like, you didn't get, like... You know, sometimes you see in, like, airfare, it's, like, an incorrect fare where, like, you know, some airline will charge, like, $10 for airfare and ends up being a mistake. I don't get the sense that it's a mistake. I think that it's... You stumbled upon something really good, and for some reason the system was giving it to you. I mean, heck, you might have been getting a resident discount. I, I mean, there's a lot of possibilities. I'm sure that if you were to look at the full printout, and there's got to be a, a perfectly logical explanation to this. Not that I can discern, though, from your explanation or the, uh, the screenshot. But um, I say go with it, dude. <laughs> I'm glad you did the right thing, booked it, took advantage of it. I love it. So good for you for finding a great deal there. And hey, maybe maybe Bob is on to something here. When you're going to book a cruise, before you uh, commit to booking something, pull it up on your phone and try it there. I've Somebody actually mentioned to me, and I'm, I've never tried this before, I, and this, again, take this for what it is, that they actually would log on to a VPN service to change their IP address to like some like foreign country and... And then, you know, clear out their cookies and then book it through there. And they and they got different pricing. I haven't done any kind of scientific study on this or anything to that effect that I could I could really stand behind. This is a good booking technique. But at the very least, it's something to consider. And hey, maybe Bob is on to something. Who knows? Next, we have an email from Chris from San Diego, California. Who writes, I recently discovered your site, YouTube channel, and now the podcast. And I love it. I've been cruising with Royal Caribbean since I was 9 or 10 years old. First ship was Song of America. And now I'm 28. I took an eight-night cruise out of Fort Lauderdale back in November on Adventure of the Seas, and that cruise got me to Platinum and Crown and Anchor Society. I'm looking to book another cruise for later this year, a seven-night cruise on Liberty of the Seas out of Galveston. I've always had an ocean view room, but since I'm now at Platinum, I might make the plunge and book a balcony. My question is, how can I take advantage of that balcony discount? Also, I know your number one recommendation is to use a travel agent. I'm wondering if you can recommend one to use or if you might know someone here in California, specifically San Diego. Chris, thanks for the email, dude. So, how to take advantage of your balcony discount? And you're absolutely right, Chris. Once you get to Platinum in Royal Caribbean's customer loyalty program, 
Democrat and Anchor Society, you are entitled to a balcony discount. And this applies to suites as well. So anytime, any kind of balcony, you get a discount on. It's basically additional money off the price of the balcony. It's automatic, actually, Chris, as long as your credit and anchor number is in the system. So if you log into Royal Caribbean's website and you log in to find your deal, like you don't just do it anonymously, like you log into the, into the system, then go back to the homepage, find a cruise. You should see in the breakdown, when you go down to, a, if you're doing a mock booking, you should see CNA discount of some kind, and it'll say, if you book a balcony, obviously, it'll show you that discount that's, that it's been applied. Similarly, if you book with a travel agent, just let them know, hey, you are platinum, and they'll be able to apply that as well. Uh, it, it's pretty straightforward, and making action with a travel agent is even easier because they can do that for you. Some cases, Chris, I have seen where the balcony discount is not combinable with certain other promotions. Most notably, it's like onboard credit offers, like you can either get $100 off or take $100 on your... Uh, onboard credit or something like that. Anyway, your travel agent can recommend that once you get to that point, if and when you reach that point. So just want to put that out there. But it's pretty easy to apply. In terms of your question for a travel agent, I always recommend and personally use MEI Travel. Full disclosure, MEI Travel is a sponsor of RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. I have to put that out there. But I always tell people I've used MEI even before they were a sponsor. I continue to use MEI Travel. And they're a global travel agency, Chris. So uh, regardless of the fact you live in California, in fact, most travel agents, it's... Most travel agents do not have a local presence, like you drive down to your downtown area and walk in. There are still some that exist, but it's really the the exception, not the norm anymore. And uh, it's really about the level of service you'll get. And whether they live in California or they live in Indiana, I I think it it, it shouldn't matter at all. They're still going to provide you great service there. And Chris, you can always get a quote from them by going to royalcaribbeanblog.com. There's a large yellow form. You shouldn't miss that. They can put you, uh, they'll contact you. And against no obligation, you can, you know, just hear them out, they'll get you a quote on there, and they can work with you there. So thank you in advance, though, Chris, for for even considering supporting our sponsor. That really does mean a lot to me. And uh, next, we have an email from Mindy writes, I heard on yesterday's podcast, someone was asking about an excursion called Vivo Beach Club. My 19-year-old daughter and I are going there next month to Royal Caribbean on our Harmony cruise since you recommended the Isla Verde Beach, and it turns out to be that Vivo is on that beach. It's currently on sale through the cruise planner for $74, down from $99, and we felt it was the safest way to get there since it's just the two of us on this trip. Thanks for all you do. We will let you know how it turns out. Awesome. Thank you, man, uh, Mindy, for, uh, for, for giving us that thing. I'm looking forward to hearing what your thoughts are. And our last question, I don't know if I said that for the last one. This is seriously our last question. It's from Kelly Tucker from Columbus, Ohio. It's, Matt, I know you love talking about food, so this should, you should enjoy these questions. My husband and uh, and his family will be going on a Southern Caribbean cruise on Freedom of the Seas out of San Juan in September. We'll be going down a date early, spend some time in old San Juan. We plan to spend the evening exploring, but I would love to know what dining recommendations you have in Old San Juan or near the cruise terminal. Also, do you have any recommendations for excursions in Bonaire or Curacao? I love to explore the towns, but with the long days in port, we're trying to find an activity as well. Kelly, thank you so much for the email. And Old San Juan, man, there's some great history and even better food. You definitely, I mean, this really boils down to, Kelly, do you want to eat Puerto Rican food or try Puerto Rican food at the very least? If you're looking for great Puerto Rican food, there are two restaurants I definitely recommend in Old San Juan. They're easily walkable uh, in in the Old San Juan town from wherever you are because Old San Juan is pretty small. Uh, the first one is a place called uh, Reyes, R-A-I-C-E-S. I'm sure I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Restaurant Reyes uh, is a great one. I've been there. And the other place I've been to that I really like is Palmas, Palmas Restaurant, uh, P-A-L-M-A-S. Uh, both are highly recommended. They're really good in the offer. If you're looking for good Puerto Rican food, that's a great spot. There's also a place called Barachina, which is a restaurant 
but it's also the place where the pina colada was quote-unquote invented. They claim that it was invented there. So if you want to have a pina colada, and they do have also food there as well on the menu, it's a, it's a pretty big restaurant, that's a great choice for you uh, to, to check out. So, yeah, my advice also is to check out the street food. There's a lot of great street food. You know, these are vendors that are selling, you know, all sorts of food on the street. Give it a try. They're a lot. They're very, very good. I mean, inevitably, it's all sort of, you know, one fried food or another. But mofongo is my favorite. Mofongo is fried plantains with some sort of a protein, usually, like, in, embedded in there. It's kind of almost looks like a volcano, usually. Uh, it's, there's chicken, shrimp, octopus, beef. I've seen all kinds of fillings for you. It's really good. I like it a lot. It has the consistency. Fried plantains, honestly, I know it's like plantains are, are a form of, I think, have been, they're related to the banana. But I'm telling you, it has more of the consistency of like really good mashed potatoes. Uh, you got to try it. It's just one of those things you just have to try in, in Puerto Rico if you ask me. So give that a try. Uh, and those are the three places I would definitely check out for you. And the other thing, oh, what to do in Bonaire and Curacao. Bonaire is definitely, so Bonaire is not a place to walk around in. There's really not a whole lot to see and do if you're just walking around. I tried it. That was, a, that was an epic fail on my part. What you want to do in Bonaire is go diving or swimming or doing something in the water. Bonaire's diving is really world-renowned. So whether it's scuba or snorkeling, if you want to do those, that's the place to do it. Curacao is a great downtown. What I would do if I'm going back to Curacao, and I'm going to do that probably, I believe, in when we go on our uh, Freedom of the Seas Royal Caribbean Blog group cruise in December, which you can still join us for. More details at royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events would be to go just walk downtown. Uh, there's a great, it's easily walkable from where the ship docks and there's a lot of great food and, and culture and it's a great shopping over there. So I would do that and then maybe look at an excursion, like you said, maybe go to the beach. That's also a good beach spot. Um, whereas Bonaire's beaches are not very good. It's, it was really rocky. We really struggled with Bonaire. So going back, I'm not sure what we'll do this time because we're not really big on diving. But I know one thing, I will not wing it in Bonaire. Whereas Curacao is much more a wingable, if that's a word, um, port to visit. So thank you, Kelly, for the email. Thank you to everybody for listening, emails, everything else in between. Guys, without you, again, there is no episode 300 of this podcast. Thank you for your support. And until next time, we'll talk again very soon right here on the Royal Cream Blog Podcast.